Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I want to go to Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 5. Verse 21, and uh, I'm going to read to you a a portion of a story, and uh, we'll kind of unpack it together, Uh, but a father that's found in the New Testament, and uh, I want to just show you uh, how this story kind of plays out. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was there by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him. So Jesus went with him. Here's a story about a dad by the name of Jairus. His daughter is sick. and, and, And the Bible says that he pursues or he goes to have an interaction with Jesus. He is being intentional about getting to Jesus because he knows that Jesus has the answer or has the ability or has the power to touch his daughter. He's got a father's heart. A heart of compassion, a, a heart that says I'm going to do whatever it takes. Now you got to know this about Jairus. Jairus was a very influential man. Jairus was not just somebody that couldn't handle his business. Jairus was a religious leader. Uh, Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. Jairus was probably known to have uh, have means or wealth. Uh, Jairus had a lot of people underneath him. Jairus ordered a lot of people around. He didn't really go to anybody for, for help. He could help himself. That's, that's, who, that's who Jairus was. And so I, I, want, I want to dive into this story and look at him as a father. Many times we talk about Jesus in this scenario and this, mess, this passage has been preached many different times about who Jesus is and how he ministers and how he touches people and how he heals. But I want to focus in on Jairus. I want to focus in on, on, on the father on Father's Day. I don't know, maybe some dads in here are late, but being a dad's not always easy. I mean, it's, 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 I've got two boys, four and three, so I haven't been in this thing that long. Uh, but, but being a dad, it isn't always easy. There is a weight of being a father. There, there is a pressure. And when we talk about dads today, we're not trying to take away from the responsibilities of other, other positions or other roles or, 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 or uh, people in our life. But we're going to focus in on that responsibility of a father. I remember, I remember growing up, you know, I feel bad for my dad. We have five kids, and we like to have a little fun with them. And, and um, my brother and I, uh, we found out, and, and um, I've, I've confessed to this story in the past. And so if you've heard it, you know. But we, we, we had a little fun. We, we found out that we could pour gasoline on the, on the deck. We could light the deck on fire. It would burn the gasoline without starting the deck on fire. It's incredible. And so we helped my dad age a little bit um, by staging a whole scenario where we would tell my dad that the deck was on fire. And um, I have never seen him move that fast. I have, I have never seen that look on his face before, but it was incredible. Ryan and I, we worked it perfectly, my brother, and uh, the, the deck is on fire. Dad, the deck is on fire. My dad's like, Frozen, and then he 
begins to act. He runs out. He's looking for something to put it out. And me and my brother are dying, laughing. And I, but he was ready for action. I'm going to tell you, that's the dad I grew up with. Always ready for action. An initiator. Somebody that was, was ready to do whatever it took. He had a motto growing up. And, and, and it was that dad will always take care of you. He had us recite it often when we thought life was unfair or we thought we weren't getting what we wanted. He said, hey, what does dad always say? And we would know. Dad will always take care of us. Doesn't feel like it right now, but we're saying what, the, what you want us to say. Hey, dad will always take care of you. Uh, T.D. Jakes, he says this. Uh, it, it's hard to be a man. That's why there aren't very many of them. It's, it's, it's difficult to step into the responsibility and be a man of action and be what God's called us to be. If it was easy, we'd have a lot more of them. We, we've got a lot of males, but not a lot of men. And, and, and what, what we've done as a culture is we've defined what a father is or defined what a man is, I think, differently than what the Bible defines it as. I, I think that we put our own definition on, on what that is, and, and it's strong, it, it, it's unmovable, it, it's, it's maybe not gentle, not kind. It's, it, it's maybe uh, the leader that commands order, and I'm the leader of my home, so I'm going to tell everybody what to do. Did you know that's not actually the role that the Bible declares that you should be? Well, i got to be the leader of my home. If you're fighting to be the leader of your home, probably there needs to be something else arranged we tell our staff if you got to tell someone to respect you then you got problems all right like if i got to tell you hey you better respect me that, that, that that's, that's a bad position to be in i've already lost at that point if as a dad you got to tell your family that you're the leader and you're the boss and they better listen you've already lost you've got a problem in another area because you've got to learn how to act how to be how to show how to display something that is followable. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, just, just follow me. If you follow me, you'll get to Christ. And he was an example worth following, so people followed him. I have found that if you are respectable, people will respect you. If you're not respectable, then they, they, they you know. I found that leaders that lead, like really lead, people follow. But if you don't, they don't. So you can tell people that you want them to follow you, but if you're not really leading, then they might not. We, at the table of the family, we have way too many vacant seats in the position that should be a father. We've been talking to being around the table, and we say, I'm the head of the house, I'm the head of the table. We've got too many positions that are open at the head of the table that, that, that a dad has not taken the responsibility. So you can be there in presence, but you cannot really be there in heart. You can sit around a table, and you can sit in, a, in, in a, a position of leadership, but you cannot lead. And what we're talking about today is the God-given responsibility on a man, on, as a father, to not just be a provider, and not just be a protector, but really the Bible says this, to actually be a priest. The Bible says in 1 Peter that we actually all, men and women alike, are priests. That, that in the Old Testament, people had to go through the priest to get to God. But now, because of Jesus, we all now have access to God. But there is a responsibility on a man to be a priest of his home, of his household. Now, before you go get all bent out of shape, 
The women are like, I can be a priest too. Why is he the priest? This is what the priest is. The priest is someone who serves the people. See, this is what our culture's done. It's, it's defined things so wrongly that we kick against God-given order because we've seen a, a wrong definition. I mean, ladies, if we say, hey, you know, it's all single ladies in here, you, you're going to marry someone. Your husband is, we're not going to talk about the head of the home. Your husband's going to be a servant to you. I mean, they are going to serve you. They're going to lay down their life for you have kids, they're, gonna, they're going to be the initiator. They're going to take the brunt of the responsibility to lead them into the presence of God. You're going to be a team, and they're going to serve what's in your heart. You'll be like, I'll take that. I'll take, I'll take a couple priests up in here. Like, I'll, I'll take that. But we've defined it wrongly where we think that a priest, there's one high priest, and his name is Jesus. That's the only high priest there is. Everyone else, we get to co-labor together. We get to work together. And the biblical definition of a priest is someone that would serve the people. That would represent God to the people. I read a statistic this week that, that was, it was, it was sad. But it's talking about the importance of a father. It says, to give just one example of the powerful influence of the father, look at church attendance. A study conducted in Sweden in 1994 found that if both father and mother attend church regularly, moms and dads, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers. And 41% will end up attending irregularly. Now, if the father is irregular in his attendance and the mother is regular, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regulars themselves. That's the importance of a father. That is the weight of responsibility for a dad to lead their homes. Wives, ladies, I'll give you a little snippet of our men's conference. We encourage the men to not have your wife have to drag you to another church event or to another service ever again. It's, you, you should be waiting in the car for her. Just like, I mean, just waiting, honking the horn. Like, we're, this family's going to church. This going to, we, we're going to church. Get up out of the bed. She's looking in the closet for you. She's looking in the bathroom for you. She's ready to, like, try to drag you to church. You're sitting in the car waiting. You got the coffee on. You're ready to roll. That, I, it's, it's a small thing, but that's called initiation, sir. It's called saying, you don't have to drag me into greater relationship. We're going to run together. We're going to pursue him together. We are going to fam- have a family together. We are going to parent together. You don't have to pick up the slack. You don't got to pick up the extra weight. I'm here. I'm in the car. I'm ready to go. I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm going to be around the people of God. I'm going to be growing. Do you know how many times I hear uh, from moms, wives that, that are saying, I just want my husband to be in accountability. Can I just tell you to be the priest of your home? You don't have to have someone tell you that. You can just see the importance of it yourself and just decide, I'm going to do it. There's a lot of like people looking down and elbows flying in this place, so we, we better move on quickly. I, I read this this week. It says, the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. And this is what we believe as the church is that the family unit is the most integral part of our world today. 
that, 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 that really the future of our country and the future of our church lies in the power of the family. The future of Christianity lies in the power or really the, 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 the consistency of the family. Jairus, he was a leader. We read this earlier and we talked about this. He was, he was influential. He, he didn't need a lot. You, you know, the, the world's definition of a father has got in the way of us understanding really that biblical role in this way. We feel like if we're the leaders of our home, if we're the priests of our home, then we need to provide and we need to. You know what? Jairus was a leader. Jairus was initiator. And he also knew what was beyond his strength. So when something was beyond his strength, he did not abdicate responsibility. He actually took responsibility and said, I got to take you to someone that has more strength than I do. Jairus humbled himself before Jesus. The Bible says he got down on his knees. Most of the persecution from Jesus to Jesus was from religious leaders. Jairus was a religious leader. He was of those who criticized him. But when the need came, he was not too proud to drop to his knees and say, Jesus, I recognize that you have something that I don't have. I recognize that what I'm doing with my family is one part of this, but there's a part of this that I cannot do without you. Jairus, Jairus walked in humility. It took humility for Jairus to come to Jesus. He had to bow his will. He had to bow his pride so that he could come to Jesus. Jairus recognized that he didn't have what his daughter needed. The Bible says she was sick unto death. She was, she, she was, it was serious. This is not just a little thing. This is a, this is a big thing. Like she, she is on her deathbed. And so Jairus came to Jesus. I want you to see something about this. Jairus didn't send someone. I think this will speak to some dads out there. Jairus didn't send someone to go to Jesus. Hey, honey, go get Jesus. She's really sick. Hey, can I hire some? Can I, can I hire someone to go grab Jesus for me? He said, no, I'm taking this on myself. I'm going to go get Jesus myself. This is serious. This is my legacy. This is my daughter. I'm going to go get Jesus myself. I've decided I'm going to take this on my own shoulders. I'm going to wear the brunt. I'm going to take the weight. I'm going to go find Jesus. And I don't care if other people make fun of me. I don't care if other people ridicule me. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to go to the man that has the answer, and I'm going to bring him back to this house, and I'm going to make sure that he lays his hands on my daughter. See, I think that, that for many of us, and dads speak specifically to us. Sometimes it's easy for us to abdicate some of our responsibility because if someone takes it naturally, then we'll just let them take it. But there are some responsibilities that you need to maintain and that you need to take. And people are taking them just because you're dropping them, not because they want them. This is, we, we talk to families all the time that, 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 that we have moms that are taking extra responsibilities, not because moms want those responsibilities, but because dads have failed to pick them up. Pastor, this is how it's worked for the last 22 years. doesn't mean it's right. It just means that it's worked. It just means that you need to like really take your wife on a couple more vacations because she's been picking up what you haven't been picking. Well, it works that way. It works that way. It's just not right. 
It's, it's, it's not about getting by. It's about functioning in your God-given responsibilities and assignments so that both parties, man and woman, all kids, can thrive and walk in the purpose that God has for them. And Jairus recognized that if there's a problem in my home, I am going to go find Jesus. Dads need to take it on themselves to get Jesus to their kids. See, that's something that's interesting. Is, is, is that the Jairus, he went to get Jesus and he said, I need you to come home with me. I, I need you. See, this, this is where we kind of get into trouble because sometimes fathers don't take it on themselves. So we just send them to a camp. I don't know what that, what's wrong with that youth pastor? My kid doesn't love Jesus. I don't know. Back when I was in youth ministry, man, I was just like, that would crack me up. Like, I've, I've got your kid for an hour and 30 minutes, one time a week, maybe. And then it's like, well, Pastor Dustin, I don't know what's going on. They're rebelling. I'm like, well, you got them the rest of the week. I mean, I'm, I'm doing what I can, but I got to work with what I have. You know, it's like, but Jairus recognized that that was his responsibility, not to just take his daughter to Jesus, but to bring Jesus to his daughter. It's one thing to bring your kids to church, and you should, but it's another thing to bring the God that lives in the house back to your home and with your kids. We do not just need to bring people here and hope that they love Jesus. We've got to bring him to our home. They need to see him in you. They need to see him working. They need to see him displayed. They need to see him powerful in you. Not just on a stage, not just in a song, not just in a Sunday gathering. It's, I love this. Jairus says, no, I need you to come to my house. Did you know that Jesus was powerful enough that he didn't have to go to his house? That Jesus was powerful enough that with a word, he could have healed this girl but for some reason, Jairus had it in his heart to say, uh, Jesus, I know you're a busy man, but I, I, I want you to come to my, my house. And this is, I love this, in verse 24 it said, and Jesus went. See, God's more willing to walk beside you than you think that he is. Let's just speak to every person in the room. Is God is more willing than we? We think sometimes prayer is this fight. It's a tug of war between God and us. God, we want you. And God's saying, no, you can't have me. God, we want you. No, you can't. we got to worship harder and scream louder. And maybe God will give in. That's, that's not what it is. The Bible says that God is willing. That he actually desires us more than we even desire him. So it's really our desire connecting with a desire that's already been in his heart from before we were formed, before we were even born. And when that desire connects, Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing. I don't know how to be a dad. I didn't have a picture of a dad. Yeah, he's willing. He's willing. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, you could start by humility and by coming to him and saying, I, I, I need you, Jesus. I, I need you to walk through this thing with me. What's difficult is that Jesus was on his way, but Jesus got, got interrupted. I need to give you the rest of the story, and, and then we'll break this down real quickly, is um, Jesus got interrupted on his way. The, the story picks up after the woman, the issue of blood, she came and she interrupted Jesus. Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. But the woman had a need, and Jesus was willing. Thank you, Jesus. Thought you're coming to my house, but Jesus stopped and he began to minister to this woman with the issue of blood. While Jesus was still speaking, Mark chapter 5, verse 35, 
It says, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. I'm going to stop right here for a second. What, 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 what do you do when you finally humble yourself? You finally make a stand as a dad. You finally make a stand as a family, as a mom. You finally make a stand in the thing that you're believing God for, right? You've humbled yourself. You've brought him into the equation, and then it dies. That's what happened with Jairus. All of this struggle, all this back and forth, and finally he says, God, I need you. And then the moment he lets his guard down, humbles himself, his daughter dies. The interruption. I mean, he must have been so mad at the woman with the issue of blood. Because how could you interrupt Jesus? Jesus was on his way to my house. He was on his way to, 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 to heal my daughter. But he gets interrupted by you, and now she dies. Sometimes the way we see interruptions get in the way of how we see God. But oftentimes, God is working even in the midst of setbacks and delays. If you pick this up, it says, overhearing what they said, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now I want to just, I want to just show you how this progression happens because while Jesus was on his way, he got interrupted. It caused her to die because he was late. You ever felt like God was late? You, 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 ever, you ever felt like if he would have showed up a couple days earlier, a couple months earlier, it would, it would have been really nice if you would have touched my kid like a little earlier, if you would have got a hold of him a couple years before now. Would, that's what happened. And, and, and she's dead. And Jesus comes in the situation and he commands them to not be afraid. See, many of us fear overcomes our faith but if you understand faith actually will overcome fear if you can fuel faith faith will overtake fear and so Jesus says you don't need to be afraid you just need to believe sometimes our delays are a greater opportunity for his demonstration sometimes our delays are greater opportunity for his demonstration. It'd be one thing if he healed her. But it's quite another if he raised her from the dead. And so Jesus begins to work. And he says people were beginning to laugh. That, that, that Jesus said she was just asleep. So Jesus put everyone out. Except for. And I love this picture. Except for her mom and her dad. I want you to see this picture of the family. When, she, when Jesus rose her from the dead. When she opened her eyes. What she saw was mom Dad and Jesus. That, friends, is the picture of the family.
that whatever your child walks through, whatever difficulty that they face, that when they open their eyes from their blindness, when they open their eyes from their rebellion, when they open their eyes from their wandering, they do not see an absent room, an absent heart, or an absent space. What they see is mom's still there, dad's still there, and God's still there. But sometimes along the journey, we throw out one or the other. But it's important that we draw our family together so that when there's difficulty, when there's ups and when there's downs, we can open our eyes and see he's, he's here. He's, he, he's right here. And I know we got all kinds of people represented. Some of you, we've got single moms, and you're playing both mom and dad. I'm going to tell you, that is the importance of pulling Jesus into the equation. The Bible says he is the father to the fatherless. Some of you are parenting all by yourself, and God's standing there with you. And just how he worked for Jairus, he'll work for you. He'll work on your behalf. And when the eyes of your child pop open and they see you, they'll see him with the delay. Jairus got out of the way, and I think this is super important, but he never left the house. See, sometimes if God begins to work, a man will take it on himself to let God work and leave. Because a man has this pride thing that says, like, it's got to be me or it's not going to work. I've got to be able to bring the breakthrough. I've got to bring home the money. I've got to, or it's just, it affects the pride. But Jairus understood that there was a power that was higher than him. And he relied on that power. He leaned on that power. And when Jesus was doing his work, he stayed in the house. So when the little girl opened her eyes, she saw dad. She saw her father standing right there. I think this story of Jairus is really what we talked about at the beginning. It's a picture of a priest. It's a picture of a priest of the home. In the Old Testament, they would talk about priests, and priests had distinct responsibilities. And I want to give you, as we begin to wind down today, I want to give you some distinct responsibilities of a priest. And this will apply to you if you're a mom or dad or anything. I want to speak specifically to the dads. But I want you to take this on, your, on, your, on yourself. I want you to take this... As a challenge to you, priests were servants to the people of God, and they carried the presence of God. This is your responsibility as a dad, to carry the presence of God. Well, I thought it was to be a provider. That's part of it, sir. But if you don't get this part right, they'll think it's all you, and they'll, know, they'll never know that they need him. The first thing you've got to have as a mom, a dad, a man of God, a woman of God, is you have to learn how to carry presence the only way to carry the presence of God is to be in it you can't teach it you can't educate someone in it you can't gift it to someone you it is only acquired by being in it did you know that already my my boys they do some things and I've realized in watching them things that I do that they've picked up on Little things, the way they say things, the little th ways that they do things. I'm like, wait a second, do I do I do that? Like I got like what what am I doing? Because they 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 have taken they've been in my presence, so they've taken on my characteristics. It is not super spiritual to carry the presence of God. It's actually very practical. It's if I want to carry his presence, I've got to be in his presence. I found this to be true. If I will carry his presence, he will carry my burdens. 
If, if you will carry the presence of God, God will be faithful to carry your burdens. The Bible says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Did you know that God cares about the little things, the, the, just the minutia, the everyday stuff that you don't even think is a big deal? God cares about it. And he says, I want you to cast those cares on me. To be a priest in your home, to be a priest in this life, you have to learn how to carry the presence of God. That means that the only presence that you encounter is not just in this room. But you learn how to seek the face of God in your home, in your car, on, on your own, sir. On, I'm not trying to get in your business too much, but on your own. Not with anybody's prodding, not with anybody's encouragement, not with anybody checking up on you, but just because you see in your own heart that in my own ability, I do not have what it takes. I, like Jairus, know that I need someone that is greater than me, that is higher than me, that is more wise than me, that is more powerful than me, and I'm not too proud to admit I need him. If men would begin to admit, if men would begin to rely, if men would just begin to get in the presence of God, they would find that the burden that has been weighing them down would be lifted because when I'm in his presence, he begins to carry my burdens. A priest, a priest will carry the presence of God. A priest secondly represents God. Represents God. Did did you know that how your children are going to view God as a father are how you are a father to them. We have counseled hundreds and hundreds of young people over the years that cannot see God as a loving heavenly father because they never saw it in an earthly father. They they cannot see him as a grace-filled God because they never saw it at home. A priest serves the people, serves the family by representing God. Another way to say it is by worshiping God. They would worship for the people so the people could see how to worship. They would see the priests worshiping and they would mimic or they would copy or they would follow what the priests were doing. A a father, a mother, a man or woman of God, they need to know how to operate at a level where they take on the responsibility of being an example to everyone around them. That I'm going to I'm going to represent, I'm going to represent God. Dads, I'm telling, if I could, if, if, if I'm saying as kind as I could say it, but your children are getting a picture of God by what they see in you. And you can tell them it's different. You can tell them that I'm not God, don't put that on me. You can tell them it all you want, but you reproduce who you are. You do not reproduce what you teach. You do not reproduce the principles or the Torah list. You reproduce who you are. And if you lose your temple when they mess up, when you pull your grace back when they mess up, guess what they think God does? That's the way that they will view their heavenly father. But a priest recognizes that I'm representing God. That doesn't mean you're perfect, sir. That doesn't mean you never make a mistake. It means you understand. So you know what? There's been times, even though my boys are four and three, there have been times that I've had to and Jamie's had to sit them down and say, we just want you to know we're sorry. Because that's not how. See, the pride in men sometimes to just say, well, you know, they don't understand. I've got a lot going on at work. Yeah, they don't understand you have a lot going on at work. 
And because they don't understand that, all they see is that abrupt, the anger, the lack of grace. They hear the words coming out of your mouth. That's all they see. And whether we like it or not, and whether it's fair or not, that's what they put on God. It's heavy, isn't it? It's heavy. That's a heavy responsibility to carry. But you don't have to carry it alone. That, that's what Jairus shows us. Is it is the partnership. It is the cooperation. It is the leaning on. It is the humility that drops down and says, God, I need you. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I can't have you just at the house. I need you to come to my house. I need the presence of God in my dwelling, in my home, in these rooms. God, I need you. If men would begin to operate in a humility and in a dependence like that, we would have some of the best fathers that we've ever seen on this planet because God would begin to empower them and walk with them and lead them and give them wisdom and children would begin to look to dads and what they see in their dad would help them connect to their father the last one we'll close with this is priests this is what every priest did in the old testament is they had a responsibility to pronounce blessing to pronounce they had the authority and they had the ability to pronounce blessing the Bible says, Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words either bless or they curse. Your words have power. As a dad, I will tell you that your words have more power than anything I've ever seen in this life. You can have highly qualified, highly educated, highly successful people, and you can walk back in their childhood, and they can remember one negative thing that their dad spoke to them. You can have the best dad in the world, and you can march back through your history, and you can find the one time, the word, the curse, you can find it. If you thought long enough right now, you'd walk yourself right back to that moment and you could hear the words just like today as it was then. It, it, it just would come in your mind in a second and it's painful. But listen, it's not to discourage you. It's to empower you. Because that's how much power you have. That's how much power you have as a man of God to pronounce blessing. My family is blessed. My legacy is blessed. My children will serve God. My children will love Him all the days of their life. My children, my home will be a home that honors God. My family, my marriage will be a marriage and a family that honors God. You bless it out of your mouth. Pronounce blessing. Pronounce blessing. Pronounce blessing. Well, my kids know I love them. I'll you know, pay for their college. No, this is going to be really elementary for you, but I'm just going to help you. You have to say it. Well, I love her. If anything changes, I'll tell her. No, you might need to start telling her right now. Out of your mouth, words. Word out of your mouth. You know what? That's what God requires or God really loves in worship is when we tell him, tell him, tell, well, I'm here, God. No, not enough. 
Not enough, God, I want you. The humility of heart that says, I can't do it on my own. I need him. I need him to walk with me. I need him to walk beside me. I'm going to tell him how great he is. I'm going to tell him how much I need him. And when you practice this, you'll be able to execute this. And you can tell your kids, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I'm going to stand beside you. I'm going to love you no matter what you do. No matter what decision you make. I'm here for you. I'm here with you. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, dad lost his temper. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That wasn't right. Those type of words, the communication, ah, they'll figure it out. Yeah, generations have been trying to figure it out. And that's why we're here. Why don't we turn the corner? Why don't we turn the corner? Why don't we just turn this corner and just decide, no, I'm going to be everything that God's called me to be. Jamie reminded me of this quote yesterday, and it's so true. Men, sometimes we like try to just get the weight off. But this quote says, men are like semi-trucks. The heavier the weight, the better they drive. You were designed to be a priest. You were designed to carry weight. A semi-truck actually doesn't handle real well when there's no weight. We're like, well, if we get weight, I'll even be worse. No, the weight is what grounds you. The weight is what centers you. The weight is what moves you into the right position so you can begin to walk with God and be everything that God has called you to be. I want to give you this one last thing. We're going to close. We're going to respond to the Lord. I was going through Instagram actually this morning, and I came across a friend of mine's post who had lost his dad this last year. So today is his first Father's Day without his dad. And he's my age, and him and his dad had a really close relationship. And I I just want to read you some of what he said. He said, on my first Father's Day without him, here are some thoughts about my dad. I can remember falling asleep on the couch and him picking me up and carrying my five-year-old dead weight to bed. I remember the smell of faded cologne on his neck and coffee on his breath and the kiss on my forehead as he tucked me in. I remember waking up alone on an early Saturday morning to watch cartoons to find my dad on his knees in the dark in prayer. I remember the countless dad's day with Josh when I could choose whatever I wanted to do that day. And in 2001, when I told my father I wanted to move to L.A. and pursue a career in music, he told me it'd be crazy not to try. So for the last 16 years, I've talked with my dad almost four times a week. He was the first person I'd call when anything even remotely good happened in my life. And he was, without question, my biggest fan. From a 38-year-old man that lost his dad last year, just look at the things he remembered. When you kissed me to sleep. When you carried me. When you encouraged me. When I made a major life decision, instead of telling me I'd never make it, He told me to go ahead and try. When I wandered out in the living room on a Saturday morning to watch some cartoons, and I found you there praying. That's the picture. That's the picture. Dads, you have the greatest influence of anybody on this planet. We can change the world by changing our home. We can change the world by changing our family. And God's not going to let you do it alone. 
He's not going to make you wander out there all by yourself. He's going to stand with you. He's going to be with you. He's going to make sure that you succeed in raising that family to love and honor God. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.